The views expressed on this podcast are those of the participants, not of Rogers News. But I think at this point, we're looking for that correction in the market, and it's happening. Combination of high interest rates um, and still a lot of uncertainty about inflation means that people are putting off buying, um, and I think it's going to go on for a while. We will see more Blackstone-type news um, news events coming forward in the next year. Concerns around property valuations are getting louder and louder as interest rates rise, which ratchets up the cost of debt needed to fund transactions. Turmoil in Blackstone's flagship property fund is the focus of this week's Views Room. Welcome back to the Views Room, the podcast from Reuters Breaking Views, where columnists from around the world talk about the big stories of the week. I'm your host, Amy Donlan, coming to you from London. This week, my US colleagues, Lauren Sibyl-Lachlan, John Foley and Jonathan Guilford explored why investors would want to pull their money out of property funds and how much more widespread the problem will become. Stay tuned to hear their interesting discussion. U.S. editor, and I'm here with my colleagues, Jonathan Guilford and John Foley in New York. Good morning. Morning, Lauren. Hi there. You both have been focused on this Blackstone fund, and it has this structure that in a market where interest rates are rising and valuations are in flux was flawed. And we've started to see that bubble up. Do you, do one of you maybe could talk a little bit about the backdrop of this BREIT, which is a $125 billion property fund within Blackstone? Yeah, sure thing. Um, so this was kind of the, uh, I think people like to refer to it as the crown jewel at Blackstone, right? It was this big bang moment. Blackstone had finally cracked how to get you know, retail investors, um, kind of you know, using the term retail uh, a little generously here, but uh, the sort of workaday affluent into alternative investments, whereas before this was really just, you know, a playground for pension funds and endowments and hedge funds and so on to kind of uh, get into this space. So Blackstone saw huge growth here. But like you say, kind of uh, like we're seeing across other alternatives, right? A lot of questions arise about dislocations and in, in valuations. You know, do you believe what Blackstone or Apollo or any of these guys uh, say about what their assets are worth. The problem for Blackstone, of course, was it's easy enough to to get a pension fund to give you money for 10 years and then, you know, just trust what you say about the kind of valuations of the assets that you've been plowing that money into. Your average investor is going to want to be able to get their money out occasionally. And that's kind of where the whole thing fell down because Blackstone had to be offering those investors, you know, the ability to take their money out at the valuation that Blackstone was imputing for its assets. So they mm-hmm. just, that's just interesting, kind of right? And take that. So basically, like if Blackstone says it's, it, you know, its valuation of its fund is X plus 10, and the market is saying actually the value of these publicly traded REITs is X minus 25, like people are going to rush to get out their money all day, every day in that structure. Like they're going to take that trade. And so you've seen this like rush for the exit. Similarly, anybody in their right mind who sees interest rates rising over a long period of time knows that property values can stay low for a very long time. And like, why leave their money in this fund? So then I guess the question, my next question is like, how long, how long does the property values have to stay low for this to become an actual real Real problem. By real problem, I mean like everybody wants their money out. Blackstone doesn't have enough money to pay people back. Like, 
Is there a sense, John or Jonathan, like what this fun kind of looks like and can in it, it like fully implode? Well, I mean, it's partly two questions here, right? One is a question of just psychology. If you're an investor sitting in this fund who sees everybody else filling up the line to get their money out, you're going to start getting itchy feet. So I think that's almost kind of untethered from what's actually happening inside this fund. In terms of what happens to the asset values, I mean, some of this is they have these kind of, you know, models that they use to, to uh, kind of figure out what they think these assets are worth. And fundamentally, that just depends on how much cash is coming out of these properties. It depends on some decisions they make uh, about their methodology for doing this, cap rates and so on. But for the most part, I think you'll probably begin to see this feed through like once there's been a while for any effects on the real economy from rising interest rates to actually affect their portfolio. And of course, Blackstone has various stories that they'll tell about why their asset base is immune to this and they can raise rents uh, to a significant degree still on their portfolio. But, you know, if we are headed for a downturn, that's going to show up somewhere and eventually that I mean, will be through. Yeah, I love the raise rents in a downturn argument. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how that happens. John, what do you think? It's interesting to note that in this case, black, there's, there's a question with, with any kind of financial crisis. We saw this in the last big financial crisis. Um, a run on an institution or a fund is always a real worry, right? When people just like stampede in to get their money out and the fund cannot meet those demands for, for funding and it basically you know, collapses under the weight of all that panic. Um, what, what's interesting here is that Blackstone's fund, Blackstone has a limit on how much investors can take back every quarter and it's flexible about that limit the limit is kind of self-imposed but what it's actually said is we kind of let you go over that limit a bit in one month but we're not going to do that again um so so what they're doing is they're saying we're going to stick to the kind of rules that we laid out about how much money investors can take back which is at least better than what you have in like you know classic bank run from the like great depression where there is no limit to how much people think they can take back and they all mm -hmm. turn up on the same day and say give us our money and the fund says we can't do that and then it all comes apart so we're not at, le at least these funds have been structured in a way that you can't really get a rapid run on them now that's not going to be true of all funds blackstone is a really smart cookie so they okay, will so structure their funds in I'm a way curious that about them. This, so okay i'm curious about this though because i agree with you except for the fact like let's just run through the scenario when this 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 cap doesn't work anymore so this is what i think but i could be wrong right property values fall and then they continue to fall so much and it becomes very clear that they're never going to recover to the point that they reach this net asset value, the value of the actual cash that's in that fund. Like investors then under that scenario never get their money back. What does that mean? Like what does the structure of those documents look like? Does Are they guaranteed to get that money back? Are they sitting on 75% losses because all of the other investors who previously got their money back and ran for the exits got it does blackstop have to backstop that cash like that sort of structure only works under the premise that those asset values are going to fully recover am i like right in thinking that way do you know what i'm saying yeah i mean part of it is that there are some feedback loops here right so i think blackstone's argument would be you are 
supposed to view this kind of as a yield product, right? Like you sit there and it throws off payments every so often to the investors and you're supposed to sit there and just kind of enjoy that. And it's, you know, got like a percentage yield to, to the asset value. And, you know, that's, I think, the intended kind of way that you're supposed to view this fund rather than as something that you're kind of shifting into and out of. Obviously, doesn't really work when everybody's running for the exits. If you do start getting some kind of feed through where the real economy is is beginning to tumble, and that finally does kind of affect through to the marks, it also has this kind of perverse effect where the limits on how much money people can take out is set as a percentage of the asset value. So kind of as you get the portfolio tumbling in that scenario, you get the situation where redemptions are also more and more limited kind of uh, every quarter on a on a just a nominal basis, right? Just in terms of the raw number of dollars that can be pulled out. So it could be nasty if that happens. Obviously, just the slowness with which these valuations adjust makes it hard to see that being kind of a runaway scenario. But uh, yeah. At some point, like, I mean, this so, all the fund manager says, this stuff that is in this like box that we sold to you, um, it's not actually worth 100 anymore. It's worth 70. And then that kind of moment of moment of honesty, if you like, um, or, or accepting reality, um, you'll get a wave of people, funds repricing their assets. Because at the moment, the reason people want the money back is because they know that what's in the box isn't worth 100 anymore. So they want to cash in at that. Right, exactly. Yeah. And that will only go on for so long before the fund managers are like, okay, we get it. It's not going back to 100. Of course, if it is going back to 100, that's fine. They can come and get their money back you know, over time. And because what's in the pot is still worth 100, Blackstone can carve off a slice and give it back to its investors. But really, we're just waiting for the moment when, I guess, the markdowns, really. Is that right, Jonathan? Yeah, I think that's right. That's kind of what, what breaks that loop, right? And then, but I guess my question is, like, what's in that pot? You know, if today what people are getting out is, is, 100, is 110, when that pot is actually worth 70, what happens at the end of the day when everybody in that pot realizes what they had was actually worth 50 or 70 or 80? But somebody else ran and got their additional, got an additional 10% when it wasn't theirs. That's exactly like, why everyone wants to be at the front of the queue, because the, the yes. people who already got it out at a valuation of 100 have sailed into the sunset and you're left holding whatever's left. So that's why even with the, these like limitations on how many people can take their money out, you want to be you want to be the person at the front of the queue. And that's why that's one of the risks in, in, all, in all funds structured like this that have been raised by regulators and banking watchdogs and, and, it, and other investors saying that we need to be aware that there are certain fund structures that are going to always incentivize people to beat the beat everyone else to the front of the queue, even <laughs> if it's not clear that, you know, if in doubt, make sure that you're the one who gets the money back instead of the one who ends up holding the rough end of the stick. Totally. And that's just the way the markets work. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. Well, Jonathan, John, thank you very much. It's been fascinating watching these stories play out over the last couple of weeks. And I suspect there'll be lots more to talk about in these in these cratering markets in the coming weeks. Thank you very much. Thanks, Lauren. Thanks, Jonathan. Thanks for tuning in. This podcast was produced by Oliver Tashlich in London. Subscribe to The Views Room and our sister podcast, The Exchange, on Acast, Megaphone, or wherever you like to listen. Check out our latest views on these stories and many others at breakingviews.com and on Twitter, where our handle is at breakingviews. Thank you.